And so I started this journey into, I want to know what chaos is, not just why I'm becoming more chaotic, but I want to know what's the origin of chaos? Where did it come from? Why is it coming against me? Because if I want to overcome it, I have to understand it. Is there such a thing as seeking risk in the wrong way? Yes, there is. Welcome back to the Riskers podcast. Today, we welcome Alan Arnold, author of Chaos Can't and Story of With. Alan is the former fiction publisher at Thomas Nelson. He helped discover writers like Ted Decker. And years ago, I met Alan at a writing conference and, and later he even hosted my wife and I at his house. We got to meet his family and, and do life with them for just a, a day, day and a half as my wife and I were on our own book tour. Now, whether you are sitting there wondering if risk is right or not, this podcast is going to be perfect for you because you are going to dive into the right type of risk and how you know it's actually time to move forward. You know your heart is ready. I cannot wait for you to be blessed and hear this podcast with Alan Arnold. So the big question is this. How do Jesus-loving entrepreneurs, pastors, and driven men and women of faith like us who are taking risks to pursue their kingdom calling, how do we get our mission, the problem we're working to solve, the pain we're striving to heal, how do we fully realize it here on earth? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Caleb Brakey, and welcome to the Riskers Podcast. Everyone, welcome Alan Arnold to the Riskers podcast. Alan and I go back a ways now. I believe we met at a writing conference and Alan was there inspiring writers. And I connected with this man's heart. And later he hosted my wife and I while we were on our own little book tour and poured into us as writers, as creatives. What I've always loved about Alan and his heart and his writing is the man points you to Jesus over and over and over again, the most ultimate creator of all. Alan is uh, the, the author of the story of with and just came out with Chaos Can't. Like this is pretty fresh. You have to check it out. We are living in times of chaos right now. And whether you're listening to this around COVID or post COVID, it's probably true. Uh, <laughs> chaos is around us, but that's not the big deal. It's our response to chaos. Alan brother also works at uh Wild at Heart, uh, if you remember John Eldridge's incredibly successful book that is still impacting souls today, Wild at Heart Ministries. He's the executive uh, producer of content with Wild at Heart, and he also coaches creatives. Alan, you deal a lot with creativity and with Jesus. Welcome to the podcast. I can't wait to hear more of your story, hear about risk, hear about success, the whole bit, brother. Thanks, Caleb. It's going to be, I think, a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it, man. I want to, I want to start with this because we were talking just a little bit before about this idea of what does it look like to you know, have success? And a lot of the times when we are risking, it's because we're, we're getting out of our comfort zone to add something to our life or to build onto this ministry or go after this calling God has for me. But that's different or can be different than what's going on inside of you. Totally. So let's, let's yeah. start with that. Well, it's a huge question. And what, you know, we were in a fascinating conversation because 
you're dealing with people who are riskers and helping them along. And so these are people who are willing to do what it takes to be successful. But then we got into, but the, the big question there is, okay, but what is real success? Because if we're looking for a hole inside of us to be filled by validation, by, you know, whether it's becoming um, a, a really popular pastor or a leader or author, if we're looking for those things to validate us, then we're going to make, I think, the wrong kind of risk. Because what we're really trying to do is at that point say, can somebody or some level of success tell me that I'm worthy, that, that I have what it takes, that I am truly um, important? And we'll risk for that in ways that become unhealthy and ultimately toxic when we think of success in that way. So to me, the biggest shift is we need to define success in a way that validation is removed on a human level and we shift it to a God level. And so validation to me is this, what do you love to do? What did God give you this innate inner desire from really the time you can remember where you felt like, man, I would do this for free. I love this. This brings life to me. And when I do it, it brings life to others. When we find what that is, then success is, are we pursuing that actively and intimately with God? When we do, here's the cool thing, Caleb, when we are pursuing that actively and intimately with God, success happens as we do it. Success isn't some later thing out there that the world tells us, a gatekeeper tells us, a congregation tells us. Uh, a, a best-selling book tells us that we're successful. Success happens as we're doing what we love to do, because if you think about it this way, we're on a playground with God, and, and we're doing what He made us to do. And so when we redefine success that way, not only can we be more um, innovative and make better risk in the moment, but success happens in that moment before anybody else deems it successful. And so when I've worked with a lot of creatives, I've just found in people in different industries, I found that's such a freeing redefinition of success. And it takes away expectations, meaning these are my expectations. When these things happen, then I'm successful. And it replaces those expectations with an expectancy for God what are we doing? What are you up to? How do we pursue this together? And so this freeing expectancy, this sense of wonder and open-handedness guides us in our dreams and in our, in our passions versus expectations that validate us, that, that we look at for other people to do. And um, I used to work with with authors who, you know, they would say, I'll be successful when I sell uh, my book idea to a publisher. And then that happened. And then it quickly changed. I'll be successful now that that's happened to when I sell 10,000 books. And then that happened. But then it was, no, I'll be successful now when I hit a bestseller list. And then it was when I sell half a million copies. 
And so when your expectations are for external validation, the enemy can have a field day because he just keeps moving that carrot further down the field where it's never quite attainable Mm -hmm. and you're risking things you don't need to risk. And by that, I mean, you're risking family time. You're risking intimacy with your spouse. You're risking um, financially and emotionally in ways that, that you were never meant to, that God never wanted you to, because you're chasing something God never wanted you to chase. And when you rest in his validation and you have an expectancy for what he's up to and you feel successful as you're doing what you're doing, well, then you can make really smart risks on how to grow and how to expand and how to reach more people from a place that is already filled up with God and not empty seeking all these other things. Oh man, that is so good, Alan. I love how it, it's kind of like, it, it doesn't matter what, what God's calling you, you into, it all comes down to it. He's, he's calling you into it with him. And right. I love that that's exactly where you're starting. It's our response to, hey, I'm in this playground with you. I hear you, God. Like, what are we doing today? What, what are we moving toward? You know, we have to debunk this idea of risk as God just calling from us from across the, the, the canyon, just saying, jump. And that's it. Like, he's, he's there with us every step of the way and just wants us to, to take part with him in that. Now, knowing your story, Alan, there was a point in your life where you had a lot of success. You were the, the fiction publisher of Thomas Nelson. You were pretty much at the, the top of the food chain. Where did this change start with you? Because I know a lot of these concepts you're talking about come from your first book, Story of With, which was just, it was a bomb to my soul as a creative. I remember reading the very first drafts and it was incredible. This all started somewhere with you where you learned that no matter what I do, if it doesn't start with God, my story with God, I'm not going to be in a solid place to, to be able to do anything. So I would love to hear a little bit more of your story and then move toward then where now you're, you're diving into the, the topic of chaos and what our responses to that. Right. So intimacy for me with God, or, or even to be more honest with anybody, was in low quantity when I was growing up. I felt like my worth was in what I did. I'm a tall guy. I'm 6'4". I I can kind of walk into a room and command a presence uh, and attention of others. And I realized, boy, I can make things happen. And I had this fortune cookie I talk about in the book, Caleb, the story with on my desk, not the cookie itself, but the fortune in it. And what it said was, the one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one already doing it. And I looked at that like my mantra for life. In other words, whatever it is that you say is impossible, I'll get it done. And I'll be the guy that is left standing in the end. 50 people may be trying to do this. I'll be the one that makes it happen. And it unfortunately worked. The more success I got, external success and validation in the wrong way, but at the time, that's what I thought mattered. I just kept doing more and more and more. And ultimately, I had a boss at the time who cared enough about me 
to take me to lunch. And I thought he was maybe going to give me another promotion because we were doing super well. And I had a team of about 20 people. And he said, Alan, I, so we sit down and I'm taking the first bite of my sandwich. And he says, Alan, I just want to start by asking you a question. Do you know that your team, everybody on your team, thinks you are a complete jerk? And he used a more colorful word than I'm going to use in our podcast. But that's what he meant, you know, that you are a complete jerk. And the only reason that they're staying with you is because you're so successful. But they don't enjoy your presence. And they don't really... Uh, enjoy you. And I just didn't know if you knew that. And it was like a basketball, you know, we've all had that feeling where you're not watching and a basketball hits you in the stomach and you, or you're kind of gasping for air. Um, that's what I felt like internally when he said that I had no idea. And thankfully that was one of those moments. I was in my late twenties, early thirties when he said that, and it started me on a path of saying, do I want to be that man? Like a lot was happening. We were making bonuses every year. I was getting promoted. And yet the people around me didn't want to be around me. And, and honestly, I mean, I was the, at the time I was ready to let them go if they didn't do, I wanted them to be as driven as me. And so I totally get it. Like they weren't people I was pouring into. They were people I was pulling from in terms of work and ideas and make it happen. And if they burn out, there'd be somebody else. And so their response was totally fair and, and true. And that started me on a journey of saying, there's got to be more. And, and I also knew I can't keep trying to top the last thing I did. And so that started me on a journey of saying, and I was a Christian at that time, working in a Christian publishing world. So this, I was not like at some secular rock radio station or something. I mean, and I believed in God, but I didn't know how to do life with God. And here's the key. I didn't know what being a son of God was. And so I felt like the more I did, especially if it was in a Christian company, the more I earned God's favor or was in good graces with him. And so it was all about doing, 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 doing. And this started me on a journey of being and becoming and stepping out of the orphan who just had to do more to be more into a son who actually got to be more. And, and that didn't stop my productivity. It actually, it actually increased it in some beautiful ways, but it was always from a place now of being and, and, and starting to know God as a father instead of as just um, somebody that I could never quite please and always had to do more for. Wow. And so that was the beginning of this journey into how do I redefine myself with a new identity, a son of God, and not just, and I knew that scripture, Caleb, since I was a teenager. So it wasn't like, oh, wow, that's a new thing in the Bible I'd never seen, but it was stepping into, okay, how do I live as a son? How do I live with expectancy? and with grace and with wonder. And yes, I still have a strength and I can still command a room and I can still make things happen, but not out of a place of needing validation. Isn't it interesting? I bring up risk to most people, especially in a, in a time and 
like this, when there's there's chaos, there's things going on, and people think of hey, do everything opposite of risk. Like hold on to your stuff, be safe, uh, don't risk you know your money, your future, whatever it is. We think of risk as all these things we're going to lose. Yes, and yet you're talking about. I would say the most important risk that any human could ever take, and that's the risk of allowing something to come in and change what's going on inside you. Authenticity, the risk of our own pride, the risk of saying, have I been doing it wrong? The risk of saying, I've got 20 people who think I'm a jerk. Why is that? And I'm willing to ask why, because I do want something more. Like you've taken a lot of risks in your life. You've changed careers after becoming very successful. A lot of people would, you know, kill to get to that position. But this risk was different. This was an inside risk. And, and what I would submit would be the most important risk we can take. When you look over your shoulder and see the external risks you've taken and jobs, careers, family, and then you look at what's going on on the inside, how would you compare and contrast the two? How would you speak to our listener today? They're so afraid of this idea of risk, but the, the greatest training ground is where they're actually not risking the things that they're most afraid to lose. It, it's something inside that they may not even know is in there that they might lose. Right. Well, so that's a really big question. And it is so important, I think, to wrestle this for each listener in a way that's not just a surface listening of, of this podcast, but I hope it's like time starts to slow down and stand still at this point for them. Here's why. On a fundamental level, here's the biggest risk that you or I will ever take. When Jesus looks at us like he did at the disciples before they were invited into his circle, and he saw them on the beach, many of them, and they were fishermen, the biggest risk starts with two words, follow me. And if you accept that invitation, and I'm thinking most of the listeners here have, you've already signed up for the biggest risk in the world. Because you're saying, I'm following, I'm not, I'm a leader. You know, like we all may consider ourselves leaders right now, but we're leaders who follow Jesus. People are, people are following us maybe, but we should be following him. And we don't control where he goes, and we don't control when he says move or stay or no or yes. And so in a sense, I mean, it's the, it's the most um, sure bet you'll ever make in your life to follow Jesus. It's the one right thing that changes everything, but it is risky because when we say yes to following him, what we're saying is we're no longer going to be the captain of our own ship. We are going to follow you and wherever you go, we'll go. And so that starts with an internal shift and it's relinquishing control. And so we have to let go of this illusion that we control our destiny and say, actually, if we're followers of, of God, if we're sons and daughters of God and we follow Jesus, then at that point, we have to release our expectations for how the story goes. We have to release our control or illusion of control of what our life is supposed to be and the rhythm of our days even. And now the real adventure begins. That to me is like the most exciting thing in the world. And so 
the invitation from Jesus when he says, follow me, is an invitation for sure. But Caleb, on a deeper level, it's initiation. So it's this invitation into an initiation of life outside of our control with the wildness of God in all areas of our life. And so it starts this journey, this adventure, but the, the heart of it is intimacy. In, in the book, uh, Chaos Can't, I've got this section in it where I don't know if most viewers have seen this movie. It's a little bit older, but it's a, it's a great movie called The Mask of Zorro. And it's got Anthony Hopkins and Anthony Banderas. And in it- I vaguely uh, remember that one. Yeah. And so remember, there is this thing called The Master's Will. And it's the training ground where the old Zorro is training the younger Zorro. Because what he says is, without this training, you're going to fight bravely and die quickly. <laughs> you know, because the young Zorro just wanted to charge the field. And he was looking for revenge. But the older one pulls him aside, stops him, and says, now we're going to train. And so he has this thing called the master's will. Well, in my book, what I do is I take a variation of that master's will, but I make 11 concentric circles or layers of training for the reader. And the very, we start in the middle in mine. In the movie, they start on the outside and move in. In my book, I start on the inside and move out because I believe the inside circle, the core or the nucleus of the whole thing is this circle that I call width. And so the inner circle, the very first thing you need to master is life with God, intimacy with God, validation by doing everything with him and letting him set the rhythm of your days. And then it ripples out into these other training circles. And by the time you're at the last one, you're ready to enter into the world and change the atmosphere for good in the world. But you can't change the atmosphere externally until it's been changed internally. And so it's your point about internal and external, right? All the action has to start on the inside first, which is a decision to follow in an intimate way, not just follow Jesus by memorizing scripture and, and doing good things, all of those external things that don't really convey intimacy at all, necessarily. I mean, we can do things without a change of heart. But the first layer, I think, or level is with. And you change that within you, and then you start moving outward and outward. And eventually, you get where you can change your realm or your atmosphere, your family, your church, your business, your you know contacts, your neighborhood. You can change that atmosphere in amazing ways, but it has to start with the change in you first. Man, I love that. Before we go further, I want to take a quick break and tell you about the publishing expertise offered by Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book, where we help men and women of faith become powerfully positioned to impact lives by collaboratively writing their book and building their ministry platform. If you've longed to write your book and impact a broader audience, our team is here to help, even if you don't have the time or energy to write. We've helped riskers like you secure traditional book deals, hit numerous bestseller lists, keynote to 100,000 people in two years, and get featured on Entrepreneur on Fire, Forbes, and Inc. 
schedule a free strategy call at www.calebrakey.com. It reminds me of when I went to a conference and I had grown up in a, in a very um, conservative atmosphere and I was at this conference in Hawaii and I was watching these people and how they lived. And the words that came out as I described it, telling Brittany what I was experiencing, I was like, these people live as if Jesus is real. They're living as if he's right there with them. And I said, something is off here because <laughs> I hadn't experienced it. Because they lived with Jesus, it radiated enough for me to question my entire life. <laughs> the yes. story of with is so powerful. And I even like the way that you say it all starts with with, because when I think of with, you think of you know something with something else. And, and it all starts there at the center. And a lot of the, a couple of words that you've said that I think are kind of on, on both sides of this with that people struggle with all the time are control and chaos. Right. Your first book might have been about letting go of that control and, and become more of with. You just wrote about chaos. I would love to hear a little bit more about yeah. that inside working your way out and what it means to be someone who is taking risks, who is getting out of our comfort zone with God uh, for his, his kingdom and the, and the different missions he's putting on these people's hearts. How do we dance with chaos? Yes, man. It's such a good question because we all face chaos and there's not a person listening who, if we were able to sit with them one-on-one, wouldn't have their story, especially this year, of chaos. It could be a job loss. It could be a health issue. It could be, you know, it, it's not simply tied to one event. It's just our world is raging with chaos right now. And it seems like at every turn, there's something new on a global or on a worldwide or on a U.S. level. But Caleb also, and this is what got me to writing the book, I started realizing Chaos is coming at each of us in very unique personal ways. And so chaos isn't this big generic thing like, you know, that, that just we all get hit equally with chaos. There is an intention somehow I was finding with chaos that affected my ability to write, to be creative, to step into my world with a strength my intimacy with God, it was trying to come against. And I started to realize this fear is trying to come in. And that fear was being ushered in by chaos. In other words, chaos was making me more chaotic and more fearful. And so I started this journey into, okay, I want to know what chaos is, not just why I'm becoming more chaotic, but I want to know outside of myself, What's the origin of chaos? Where did it come from? Why is it coming against me? Because if I want to overcome it, I have to understand it more. And so the book Chaos Can't, it's not honestly a book just about chaos, but it is a hopeful, defiant kind of book that you can read that says, how do you overcome in a world that's really shaken all the things that are coming against you? And how do you live in a way that brings beauty and life and order? rather than being taken out or cut cut down at the knees by chaos. So that's what started me on the journey of writing this book. 
And it was a remarkable journey because what I quickly realized, Caleb, just to start is, it was a big idea for me. We don't have to let outside chaos in. Like I used to just think, well, when things heat up, of course I'm going to become more chaotic. Like who wouldn't when things, when there's chaos swirling all around me? And I started to realize, actually, all my responses to chaos have fallen short. If I try to ignore chaos and pretend it's not there, it doesn't work. If I hunker down and try to wait it out, it doesn't work. The chaos just accelerates. If I try to out chaos chaos, in other words, if I try to, you know, whatever's going on, if I just try to be louder and, and more dominant, that doesn't work. It's never a good idea to become more of something you're, you don't want. So to try to out chaos chaos is another way of saying we just will become more chaotic than the chaos around us. And that doesn't work. So I found myself going, okay, I don't know how to approach chaos in a better way or even understand it in a better way. And I sense God saying, look at how I respond to chaos. And when I did, it was amazing because God has never been panicked by chaos. He's never been caught off guard. God doesn't become more chaotic in a world of ours that, that grows in chaos. He doesn't take his cues from us. And, and actually, one of the key verses I found was in the very beginning of Scripture. So Genesis 1-1, we all know, right? In the beginning, God created. But, and then he, we go into Genesis 1-3, and then we start talking about the creation story. But Caleb, we often skip over, because it's a little bit mysterious and, and we don't quite know what it means, Genesis 1-2 which talks about the spirit hovering over this murky darkness, this inky blackness, this substance that Hebrew scholars would say is chaos. And so the very first thing that we see God doing in scripture actively is we see him as creator in Genesis 1-1, but then in 1-2, God's spirit is moving against the chaos and is transforming the chaos, a lot of Hebrew scholars and others would say, transforming it from chaos into beauty, life, and order, and, and doing that through creation. And so now, all of a sudden, the question is, well, if we're sons and daughters of God, and we are, then the very first thing he shows us how to do in Scripture, the very first lesson, the very first hands-on experiment is overcoming chaos. And then we get to see that throughout scripture, but it begins in Genesis 1-2. And what's interesting about this, I used to think chaos came into our world when Adam and Eve fell. You know, when they chose sin and they rebelled against God, I thought, okay, well, that's when death entered the world, which it did, but also that's when chaos entered the world. But the problem with that is that the tempter who tempts them in the scripture he already is a chaotic being. He already has chaos before they make their choice. And so then we go back and we go, well, in Genesis 1-2, there's chaos. The spirits hovering over are moving against this chaos, but it already existed before the days of creation. So where did chaos come from? And 
while we can't be absolutely sure and, and we can't pretend we know everything because we don't, what we see in Scripture is there is a rebellion in heaven. And the rebellion in heaven, best we can tell, was when Lucifer, who was a being created by God, as all angelic beings were, when he let envy and this offense in his heart against God, he ended up leading a third of the angels into rebellion in heaven. In other words, chaos broke out in heaven. And I believe, and, and from what I can tell in Scripture, this was the first time we see chaos literally before time began in our world. And so if the enemy kind of gave birth to chaos, well, now we see his fingerprints on chaos. So when chaos comes against us, you know, Scripture talks about how the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, I believe he uses chaos as a primary tool to still kill and destroy our dreams, our hopes, our life, if he can. But if he can't get our, you know, kill us, literally, he'll kill our dreams and our hopes and our purpose and our understanding of intimacy with God in any way he can. And chaos is a primary way he does that, I believe, Caleb. And so now I'm starting to see chaos at this point in my journey, in a new way. Okay, it's not random, but the enemy uses chaos like a weapon. And he throws chaos at us to kill, steal, and destroy our hopes and dreams and, and us and our creativity. And so now I start to realize, wow, that's why chaos feels so personal. And what is the answer? Well, every time God encounters chaos, he brings beauty, life, and order from it. And we look to Jesus, okay? Well, every if you think about it through this lens, almost every experience Jesus had was transforming chaos into beauty, life, and order. And I would say Jesus never became more chaotic either in the process. And, you know, you look at things like, well, what about with the money changers and the, and the temple? And, you know, he's turning over tables. That seems chaotic. But I would say, no, actually, he was turning over or moving against disorder and bringing order. So he wasn't chaos. He was moving against a chaotic system and replacing it with order and beauty. And yes, he brought a strength to it, but he didn't, he didn't create chaos. He overcame chaos in that moment. And there were demon-possessed people, and there was storms. And there were all kinds of things throughout his life that when Jesus walked into it, he left that atmosphere transformed. And all the chaotic people around him, he never took in the chaos. He never let it in. He instead changed it through what was in him. And that goes back to our whole conversation earlier about internal and external. Instead of letting external chaos in and becoming more chaotic internally, he took the order and beauty in life in him, the trueness in him, and changed the external chaos. It was the exact reverse of what we do most of the time. Wow. So that's what I think is a huge idea for people to realize is I don't have to let chaos in. And actually, as I walk with God, not only am I not going to become more chaotic, I'm going to now 
take what's in me, the Holy Spirit, beauty, life, order, the fruits of the Spirit, and I'm going to change in my realm of authority what's chaotic by who I am and by what I'm good at, what I've been gifted by God to do. And I can actually start to bring some beauty and life and order into those places in my life. So it's a big shift. Man, what a amazing, inspiring calling. I mean, what greater thing to risk for than beauty, than love, than order, than hope to let what's already inside you out <laughs> and to conquer this chaos. Alan, um, amazing. And I want everyone listening to this podcast to dive deep into this. One, your story with God. Two, chaos can't. Uh, if you don't have these two books, I highly encourage you get them because I remember through most of my creative journey as a highly focused executor, I would always be learning and learning and learning. And I'll tell you, the first part of every book or course I would take, it almost always started with identity or something going on the inside. And what did I do? Skip right by it because I wanted something to do. I didn't want to think about anything. I wanted to get something done. And what a horrible mistake that set me back so far. Whereas here you're starting with the inner and it changes everything on the outside. Alan, this has been awesome, brother. Before I wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience? I think, Caleb, I would just want to close with um, for the person listening who is saying, yeah, this sounds good or interesting, but you don't know my world. I would just say, we don't know your specific world, but Jesus said, right, in this world, we will have trouble. And he could have easily, I believe, replaced trouble in his intent with chaos. So in this world, we will have trouble, chaos. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm telling you this so you'll take heart and so you'll have peace. And so Jesus is inviting us in a world of chaos with basically an initiation process. You can have peace. You can keep your heart alive in chaos if you'll follow me and if you'll start with inner change and intimacy with me first. And so I just want to encourage listeners it is not just possible, it's the whole invitation of why we are sons and daughters of God. It's to grow in intimacy, not just to do more stuff. And when you have that as your foundation, you will be a risker in all the right ways. Every great story in scripture that we love, Old or New Testament, required immense risk, oftentimes at the risk of their own life. And yet they made those smart risks because it was for an eternal purpose and it changed the world around them. And they were risking in the right ways with God. And so I love your process here, Caleb, and I love your podcast and I love your ministry. And now I think today we're just saying, but make sure you're risking from a place that's, that's not seeking validation and not the world's validation, but your validation that's already there and the success that's already there as you pursue life with God. And man, Amen, Alan, that is those risks are, those risks are going to change the world. Those are the risks that are going to change the world. Man, if listeners, 
uh, repeat that. Hit the hit the fifteen second rewind button and listen to that, Alan. I know there's a lot of creatives out there who do want some more hands-on help, and I know that uh, you have a website at with Alan A L L E N dot com uh, where folks can get in touch with you and creatives and those who maybe want to take a deeper dive. So I encourage you to check out withallen.com, uh, Amazon or wherever books are sold, Chaos Can't, Story of With. And uh, if you get a chance, Alan does incredible work with Wild at Heart. And I've heard many stories of people going to Wild at Heart events. Uh, right now, obviously, events might not be going on, but look to change the inside. <laughs> look, to get the, look to make the right risk. To, be, to make the right risk, you have to become that right person who, who God says you are <laughs> and remember whose you are and let him transform you. Alan, this has been awesome, brother. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. And uh, I just can't wait to see uh, what's on the docket next for you and see how chaos can't will impact lives, brother. Thanks, Caleb. This has been, and I knew it would be a fascinating, fun conversation. So thanks for having me on. We'll see you later, Alan. Thank you for listening to the Riskers podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book, where we're on a mission to teach kingdom-minded men and women how to write, publish, and market best-selling books and build world-class platforms. To learn more, go to www.calebrakey.com.